So this is week two of a sermon series that we're calling Storybook, and I'll just tell you, this all began for me a long time ago when God kind of impressed on me or convicted me of just how amazing the Bible is, and I was so caught up in trying to understand what it said, and I was so caught up in trying to understand what it means, and what was revealed to me was how amazing what it is, that it's, I may have said this before, it's God. God communicating with us. That is, if if that doesn't blow your mind, you don't understand who you are or you don't understand who God is. It's God communicating with us and that is a really big deal. It's such a big deal that we want to do what 2 Timothy 2.15 calls the hard work of understanding Scripture. The hard work of digging in and tearing it up and breaking it down. And it says rightly dividing the word. Just breaking this thing apart and trying to really understand what it's really trying to tell us. Joshua 1.8 says we should study this book continually that we should meditate on it day and night and really try to understand what it's really trying to say to us. It's, it's that big a deal. It's, it's God communicating with us. And last week we saw in a couple of places, but specifically in 2 Timothy 3, that the Bible is like simultaneously doing two things. It's doing two things at the same time, and that is that each story and chapter and verse and poem and book and every, every passage in the Bible, the Bible says, is useful, right, to teach us and instruct us about how we should live and how we should feel and how we should think and who we are and why we're here. And at the same time as it's giving us all those useful, practical, real-world, real-life instructions, it's also all of it. The, the discourse, the poetry, the stories, all are working together to tell us one big, eternal, amazing story And that story points to Jesus. And what we compared it to is like in that little video right there. It's like if you have, I bet some of you do, you've got a a photo album and it's like this chronological tour, right, of your life. And it's weddings and it's birthdays and it's graduations and vacations and Christmases. And if you take each one of those pictures out, every one of those pictures, if you pulled it out, you could say, oh yeah, that picture stands alone, right? That picture tells a story. That picture reminds me of an emotion. That picture, I learned a lesson during that picture. But the most important thing about that picture is when you put it back into the album and you see where it fits in to the storyline, right? Where it fits into this long, continuous, amazing story of your family. And similarly, the Bible is full of amazing, like, snapshots, right? Poems and stories and, 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 and sermons and, and letters and all of these passages. And you could take any one of them out and you could examine it. And you could learn about it and you know, feel something from it and enjoy it and examine it and really experience that particular passage. And you could learn and you could feel and you could experience God's word in that passage. And where that's most important 
is when you take that passage and you put it back into the Bible and you see where that passage fits into this one story from Genesis all the way to Revelation, one continuous story that leads us to Jesus. And so that's what we're doing. We're going, especially in the Old Testament, and we're taking little passages, a poem here, a story there, a verse there, and we're pulling it out, and we're like a snapshot. We're taking it out of the Bible, right? And we're gonna examine it. And we're gonna really see what we can learn about it. That's part one. And then part two is we're gonna see not just what we can learn about it, what can we learn from it, right? Like, why does it matter to us what happened 4,000 years ago? How does that apply in my world, at my job, at my house, right? How does that, why does that matter to me? We're gonna really examine it. What do we learn from it? What do we learn about it? And then we're gonna put it back into the timeline. And we're gonna see how it fits into this amazing story, this story book this one long, continuous, incredible story that points us to Jesus. And so last week's snapshot, we looked at, I don't know, I guess you could say like the introduction to the Bible. It's the creation story in Genesis 1. And we talked about this amazing, perfect place that God had spoken into existence, the heavens and the earth. And remember, we said it was, it was perfect. God, 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 it's kept saying God could see that it was good. In fact, it was really good. It was, it was perfect. It was good times seven. Remember we talked about that? It was that good. And I think it's important to remember that when we talk about the heavens and the earth, that when Moses wrote this, and when the original Hebrew readers and listeners were hearing this story about creation, they didn't know what we know in some ways. And so when they thought about the earth, you know, when I say the word earth to you, what comes to my mind is a giant blue ball that is spinning through space, and that's not at all what they thought about when they heard of Earth. They were thinking of, you know, dirt, right? They were thinking of the ground that they were standing on. They were thinking of, of where they live. And when they thought of the heavens, they didn't know about this infinite universe that's full of planets and stars and meteors and asteroids. They didn't, they didn't know about that. You know what they thought, you know what their perception of the sky was, of the heavens was? Was that it was like an inverted bowl sitting on top of the earth. If you look up there, that's what it looks like, right? It looks like a big upside down bowl of blue that's sitting on top of us. And so their perspective of, of the heavens and the earth was different than us. They saw the earth as like, that's where we are. And then the heavens is this place up there where God is. And so they understood the heavens as God's space and they understood the earth as like man's space. Okay, and in the, in the middle of that space was like Eden. And in the middle of Eden was this garden and in the middle of that garden, there were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Genesis 2.15 says, God placed man there in the garden that was in Eden. And that space was holy. That space was like beautiful and perfect and there were all kinds of trees and delicious fruit and rivers flowing. And that picture in your mind right now, yeah, that's what it was. It was, it was, it was in fact, the word Eden in Hebrew means delight or like paradise. 
And it wasn't just like our thing of paradise. It wasn't Hawaii. Sorry, it, was, it wasn't the Hawaiian people right here. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't like Hawaii. It was a, it was a perfect place where, where God and man could be together, right? God and man could be together and humanity could experience God's presence in a really special way, in a really unique way. Um, and in Genesis 2 and in Genesis 3, it says that God actually, these are the words, walked back and forth. Can you imagine going for a walk with God? Um, last summer, when everything was closed down and all that, um, Margaret and I were just you know, sick of being home, and we started walking a lot. And so we would go for these walks, five, six, seven mile walks. And during that time, we were memorizing some chapters in the Bible. So like we were quizzing each other and we'd say them together and I would say a line and she would say a line and we were talking about really important stuff and we had COVID and politics and racism all figured out. And we were talking, you know, really deep, powerful, important conversations and then really just silly, flippant, little goofy conversations. But we were really like together. You know, we were really talking to each other and really listening to each other. Can you imagine doing that with God? I mean, that, this place was awesome. It was, it was perfect. They, God provided everything there that they needed. Everything that a human being needs to flourish was there. They had food and water and shade. It was cool in the evenings. They had protection. They had a couple of rules. They had work. They had purpose. They had company. Right? They had everything that humans need to, to thrive and to really flourish. And there, there was no sadness, and there was no death, and there was no crying, and there was no pain. And most of all, and, and best of all, in this holy space, they had the presence of God. This was literally a, a temple, right? It was, it was where, where God and man could, could come together. That's what a temple is, right? It's where God and man can be together. It was, this was the place where heaven and earth, where, where God's space and man's space, like, were the same space. And Genesis 1.31 says it was very good. It was, it was perfect. It was good times seven. It was perfect. And then man jacked everything up, right, with sin and pride. And there was no room in this perfect place for sin. And there was no room in this place for pride because it was like defiling this perfect creation. It was contaminating God's perfect world. And so he kicked him out. In Genesis 3.23, it says that he, he banished them. He exiled them from the garden. And he stationed a couple of cherubim, the uh, cherubim sometimes we say. And these are like these supernatural winged creatures. And they have these flaming swords. And they were guarding the entrance so that they couldn't go back in there. So God's perfect temple, this um, delightful paradise, this amazing garden on a hill in Eden, this incredible place where heaven and earth come together, where man could really experience the goodness and blessing of God was broken. And the rest of the Bible is about God's work to fix that. 
to redeem man and to put this perfect creation like back together and to recreate his perfect kingdom in this perfect place in this temple where God and man could come together and where man could really experience, could go for walks with God. And throughout the Old Testament, there's, there's a couple of like, um, some people call them types or like shadows or images, um, like reflections of Eden. Um, the first one is the tabernacle. Um, that means, you know what the word means, tabernacle? It means tent. And so the tabernacle was like this tent complex that God had the Israelites put together while they were walking through the wilderness. And then there was the temple in the holy city of Jerusalem. Remember, David dreamed of this great temple and then his son Solomon ended up building this great place. And those places, they weren't as perfect as Eden. They weren't God's perfect creation. But they were places where people could experience God's presence. In fact, the same words that I talked about earlier in the Garden of Eden that said God was walking back and forth, um, in the tabernacle it uses those exact same words to describe God's presence in the tabernacle. And he was walking back and forth with the priests inside there. And so the tab tabernacle and the temper, um, like temple, God gave them like a blueprint, right? Of this is what I want it to look like. These are your instructions on how to build this thing. And it's really interesting. It seems like they were supposed to um, mimic or, or model or recreate um, that original temple of Eden. So listen to all of these like um, coincidences of how the temple and the tabernacle were supposed to be like Eden. So the temple and the tabernacle were a concentric design. So there were the outer courts, outer courts, and then there was the holy place, and then inside of that was the holy of holies, the most holy place. And it's just like the original, right? There was Eden, and inside of Eden there was a garden, and inside the garden there was the tree of life, the most holy place. And the temple and the tabernacle both had a lot of wood carvings and these tall wood lampstands that made it feel like a garden or made it feel like trees. Um, the temple entrance was supposed to face east and it had to be on top of a mountain because I guess that's where heaven and earth come together. Um, and the entrance to the Garden of Eden faced east and it was on top of a mountain. Um, inside the Holy of Holies in the, in the temple uh, and in the tabernacle, um, that area was guarded by carvings in wood and the carvings were of cherubim the cherubim, these supernatural winged creatures, the same creatures that God placed to guard the Garden of Eden. Um, inside the Holy of Holies, right, all the way in the middle, in the center of the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant, and inside that was the law that God had given, right? This was God's description of what was good and what was evil, and in the center of the Garden of Eden was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What a bunch of interesting coincidences, huh? Maybe, or maybe these are supposed to be intentional, clear imagery that the sanctuary and the, and, and, and the, the temple and the tabernacle were, were designed to be images, like replicas, like shadows of the real temple that God created in the beginning, which is 
this perfect place where God's space and man's space can be the same space and where there would be no death or crying or sorrow or pain. So, you guys having fun? That's part one, right? We took the photo out of Eden and we examined it and we looked at it and we can see what we can learn about it. And now part two is we're gonna try to see from that photo, from that little picture of Eden, um, what can we learn from it? Like, so what, right? How, how does this story matter in our lives? How does, this, how does this apply? That's the word we want, right? How does this apply to us? Why should it matter to 21st century Christians that this original temple existed and that it was a place where God's spirit and man could be together? And the application, I'm gonna tell you, is really easy to say, but it's really kind of hard to understand. So here's the application, are you ready? You ready? Okay, here's the application. We're the temple now. We are the temple now. The original temple was the Garden of Eden, and then there was the tabernacle in the desert, and then there was the temple, and now it's us. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? And I read that, it's like, wait, what, how? I mean, I'm not made out of fabric. I'm not made out of rocks and, and concrete. And I mean, how am I? Look what it says. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God because the spirit of God lives in you. So the temple is this, this place, right? Where God and man come together. Where it's, the temple is where God's spirit lives. So we, our bodies, we are his temple. Um, it's not just 1 Corinthians. Ephesians 2.20 says, together we are his house. And the cornerstone of that house is Jesus Christ. Those are both Paul, but it wasn't just Paul. Peter in 1 Peter 2.5 says, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. And this wasn't just like a weird concept that Paul and Peter went out and had a few beers and dreamed this thing up. This was a fulfillment of a promise from the Old Testament, from the prophets and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel all talked about God's spirit living in us, not with us, not around us, not in the tent next door to us, not in that great big cool temple building around us. God's spirit was gonna live inside of us. This is Ezekiel 36, 26. He said, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Here's 27. I will put my spirit in you. So the stuff about Eden and the temple and, and what that is matters a lot to us because as his temple, his spirit in us is our uh, like seal. It's our, it's our mark, it's our, it's our um, like stamp, our, uh, the proof that we're right with God and that, that we have eternal life. So this is now in the New Testament, Romans 8, 10. Christ lives within you, so he, Christ lives, right? God lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. We know we've been made right with God because his spirit lives in us. The Spirit of God, verse 11, that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. The Spirit living in us, us being the temple of the Holy Spirit, 
That is our promise that we belong to God. When we have, oh, you know, Satan's always on your shoulder, right? Oh, you're not a Christian. You messed up again and all that good stuff. This is, our, this is our proof. This is how we know that we're saved. This is how we know that we have eternal life. This is how we know that God sees us, not as slaves trying to earn our keep. He sees us as his family. He sees us as his children. Uh, Romans eight sixteen. his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. His spirit in us tells us who we are. It tells us that we're made right with God. And his spirit in us is at work in us, making us holy and changing us from the inside out and making us, making us into this perfect, delightful place where God and man can come together. So why should we care about the temple? Because we are the temple, or at least we're becoming the temple. We're not, we're not there yet, right, because our sins have been forgiven, but sin has not been, like, um, eradicated. Sin hasn't been completely cured. Uh, let me ask you this. How many of you are Christians? Okay, so just of you that are Christians, how many of you still sin from time to time? Oh, it's a lot less. Look at that. Wow. How many of you, like, maybe even sinned in the last week since I saw you last Sunday? A couple of real heathens. How many of you, like, have sinned today? (laughs) The hands are still going up, but they're going up lower. How many of you have sinned, like, since this service started today? Just a couple. Okay. I don't like what Larry's wearing today. Okay, that's a sin. Uh, so what is that telling us, right? You're saved. You're full of the Holy Spirit. You're going to go to heaven and live with him forever, and yet you still sin. Well, that's telling us that we're not there yet. We're not there yet. We're like, um, we're good on the inside, right? We're good on the inside because the Spirit's in there, but our attitudes and our actions and our behaviors are still like being built into this spiritual temple, right? We're still being, we're like under construction and in our bodies, in our bodies. How many of you would just say, just transparently, my body is so perfect and amazing <laughs> that it's a perfect temple for God to live in? Who would, I'll have you come up on stage and show it to us real quick. <laughs> yeah, so not, not perfect, right? Um, look what Romans uh, 8.23 says. This says, We have the Holy Spirit within us, on the inside, right? We have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. Foretaste. In the Greek, you know what that foretaste means? It means Costco samples. Okay, so this is what the foretaste is all about. When you go to Costco, I don't, you, like, you guys go to Costco, they got the little samples, oh, cookies, brownies, you know, whatever. And when you, when you, when you go for a sample, you just get a little taste you can't take the whole package, right? That's been made very clear to me a couple of times in Costco. You can't take the whole package. It's just a foretaste. This is just taste it and see how good it's going to be if you get the whole package, right? That's a foretaste, right? So here's what it says. We have the Holy Spirit within us, and that's just a foretaste of future glory because we still have to wait for our bodies to be completely released from sin and to be completely released from suffering. And so it says, we too wait, it's like the rest of the world, with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he has promised us. So yeah, we're, we're, we're the temple now. 
His spirit lives in us. We are the place where God and man come together. But we're not quite there yet, right? We should have like shirts on us that say like pardon our dust. (laughs) Temple under construction, right? We are the temple. So that's, that's part two, right? We did it. Part one was we examined it. We see what we can learn about it. Part two is the application. What can we learn from it? How does it apply? How does Eden and the temple apply to our lives? And that's, that's how. That's how it matters to us. And that's how it applies to us. So part three now is to take this story, this little snapshot of Eden, and put it back in to this amazing, eternal story that leads to Jesus. So, so how does this Eden stuff, how does this temple stuff point to Jesus? So the Garden of Eden was the perfect, remember, perfect temple, right? Good time seven, perfect temple, the place where God and man would come together in a perfect place under God's perfect provision and blessing and protection and rule and man could really experience God and experience God's presence without sin, without pride, uh, getting in the way. And then when the temple broke, God brought along these like imperfect quasi, like, like replicas or models or shadows or images of the real temple, the tabernacle, which was this tent that the Jews put together, and then the temple that Solomon built. And those places were like, they were like the garden, right? They were like the garden, but they weren't perfect. Like they were good, but they weren't good times seven, right? They were good, but they weren't perfect like God's creation. The tabernacle and then, and then the temple, those were, those, were, those were good places, good places for God to be with a few of his people in kind of a limited, temporary, kind of, sort of way, but they weren't perfect. I mean, it's a tent in the desert. It's hot in there, right? Tents, tents blow away. Um, the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians and then they rebuilt it and then it was destroyed again by the Romans. So those temples were like destructible, flammable, um, corruptible. They were, um, they were temporary. Um, so they were, you know, they were good. They were good temples. And then us, we're, we're pretty good, right? We're, we're, we're pretty good temples, but we're not, we're not perfect. His spirit's in us, and, and so, yeah, in a limited way, we're experiencing God's presence. Uh, he's, he's choosing to see us as perfect, but, but we're not. We're, we're still broken. We're still under construction, and we're still waiting for that day when we get these perfect, incorruptible bodies. So in the big story, right, in the big storyline of the Bible, it seems like after the Eden incident, when they got kicked out, um, the story then needed something, right? So when they read that story for the last thousands of years, okay, that, that temple's not there anymore, and we got all these corruptible, broken, destructible, flammable, pale imitations of it, and so it like leaves them leaning into the story. It leaves us leaning into the story, right? Because it's like when God's people read this story, they knew the story needs something, right? This, this, this plan, 
this need something. We all, we, we need something. And you know what we need? We need a better temple, right? We need a really perfect temple that doesn't blow away and that doesn't burn down and that doesn't continue to sin. We need a, we need a perfect place where God and man could become one. And Jesus is that temple. So in John 1, 14, really famous passage, you've read this. It says, so the word became human and made his home among us. What a weird sentence, right? The word became human and made his home among us. So who, who's the word? Jesus, right? Jesus is the word. And he became human. You know, Jesus didn't originate in Bethlehem right, on Christmas morning, right? That's not, Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't start existing as a baby, in, but Jesus has always existed, right? Jesus was there at the beginning, that John 1 tells us, he was there at the beginning. He was involved in the creation process. Jesus has always been, but this is when he, in Bethlehem, on Christmas morning, that's when Jesus became human. So the word, Jesus, became human and made his home among us. Now this, this term made his home is a really cool Greek word, skene. And um, what it means is like he moved into our world. Right? In fact, if you look at the message, Eugene Peterson's uh, like um, paraphrase or whatever of the Bible, he says he moved into our neighborhood. Right? That's Jesus was already there and he became human and he moved into our neighborhood. But the actual like literal thing for skene is would be he pitched his tent with ours, right? He, he literally, he tabernacled, right? He tabernacled among us. So Jesus, the body of Jesus is the tabernacle. It's where God and man come together. And he's the temple. In John 2, 19, the Jewish leaders asked Jesus, you do a miracle and then we'll believe in who you are, right? And here's what Jesus says. This is uh, 2, 19. Jesus says, okay, um, I'll, I'll, I'll do you a miracle. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And they like, what are you talking about? It took, what does it say? It took 46 years to build this temple. And now you're gonna rebuild it in three days? Look at verse 21. But when Jesus said this temple, he meant, his own body. Jesus is the temple. Jesus is this perfect, delightful place where God and man come together in one perfect place. And someday he will return and he will completely finish the work, right? He will transform us into perfect temples and he will redeem us and he will redeem God's perfect world and he'll recreate it as it was intended to be a, a perfect place where God and humanity can be together forever with no more sin and no more death and no more sorrow and no more pain. And at the end of the story in Revelation, as John is looking forward to the end of the story, which hasn't even happened yet, he has in Revelation a vision of that day. Here's what it says, Revelation 21.1. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heavens and earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband and I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home 
is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain and all of those things are gone forever and the one sitting on the throne, who's that? Jesus says, look, I'm making everything new. So Jesus came Where did Jesus fit in, right? Jesus came to be the perfect temple where God and man come together. Jesus came to change us and to recreate us so that we could be the temple where God and man come together. And he's coming back to finish that job and to recreate Eden and to reunite heaven and earth and to finally, fully, reunite God and man. So, you know, Jesus is at the beginning of the creation of the heavens and the earth. John 1 says nothing was created without him. He was there at the beginning. And he's, he's at the end in the new heaven and the new earth making everything right and making everything new. He is the perfect temple where God and man are one. People, can I tell you something? Can I just share something really quick? This book is amazing. It's God communicating with us. And it's full of real, real application. It's full of real, practical, amazing, important instruction and encouragement and wisdom. And from the beginning to the end, it all points to Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word and just for this incredible, amazing story and the amazing instruction and application and how we can see ourselves and our lives in this book that is so old and, 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 and has, has meant so many different things to so many people and we can, we can see our lives in this word and so thank you for this just incredible book and Lord I thank you because from beginning to end this thing points to Jesus and so Lord we just we thank you for Jesus it's the book is just all about him and God my prayer is that you will just open our eyes to just how incredible this book is and the amazing instruction and application that you have in it for us. You'll, see, you'll help us to see ourselves in it and our lives in it. And God, I just pray that you'll help us to see just how amazing this story is that points us to Jesus because it's all about him. And God, I pray that our lives will be like your word, that our lives will be all about Jesus. In his name, amen and amen. Thank you guys for being here today. Don't forget, on your way out, turn left and sign up for a life group as you go. We'll see you next week.